From Yahoo Finance, this is Electionomics. I'm Rick Newman. And I'm Alexis Christophorus. Thanks so much for being with us. On this episode, we're going to dive into consumer confidence in all 50 states and what that might mean for businesses, for investors, and for the upcoming presidential election. Joining us is John Lear. He is economist at Morning Consult, the data intelligence organization conducting the surveys that we're going to be diving into. And John, good to have you here on Electionomics. Uh, I know that over the past two weeks, trends in consumer confidence uh, have, have been very closely correlated to what's happening with COVID-19 in those particular states. So give us an overview as to where consumer confidence stands right now. And is it generally the same across the entire country? Yeah, thanks, first of all, Alexis and Rick, for having me on. Um, These are definitely important issues right now. I think if you want to understand where consumers stand, it's important to take a quick step back and sort of uh, track how consumer confidence has changed over the past three months three or four months, I guess, at this point, consumers really took uh, a strong hit. Consumer confidence took an extremely strong hit in early March when the coronavirus hit, and then all of a sudden they faced these mass layoffs, uh, temporary furloughs, all those sorts of things. And we started to see a gradual rebound in confidence starting in April, lasting through May, and then all of a sudden June is where we, we sort of hit a plateau and at the national level, and this is true, the same is true amongst uh, many states, July is where things turn for the worse. And so um, as the number of confirmed cases increased beginning in July, consumer confidence uh, followed suit. How far below um, pre-virus levels are we, John, just in terms yeah. of national consumer confidence? Uh, I guess you could date that as like March 1st or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're still about, um, you know, it ranges state by state, but for the national level, it's about 27% below where it was um uh, or I guess it's 25% below where it was in March. Um, you know, so that's a really big hit to confidence. Now, some states are a little bit further below. So if you st- start looking at uh, states like Florida or Arizona that have been particularly strongly hit by this sort of second wave or wave 1.5, I guess you could call it, of the virus. Um, but in general, consumers have not rebounded. They've not, they haven't uh, returned to where they were pre-virus. John, so you, um, go ahead, Alexis. I'm curious if if confidence is at all aligned with party affiliation, meaning, you know, yeah. are Republicans feeling more confident than, say, yeah. their counterparts uh, that are Democrats or, or independents in other states? Yeah. So the answer is, um, in the first instance, yes, we clearly see that Republicans are more confident than Democrats overall. But when you start looking at the changes over time or the trends, they're remarkably similar um, particularly during this most recent period of market turbulence, so the, the COVID virus, the pr- post-March period. Um, that hasn't always been the case. So if you go back in time, I mean, it seems now like maybe decades ago, but it wasn't that long ago where the biggest issue facing the U.S. economy was this trade war. And so back in August, there was a threat of um, tariffs hitting consumer goods uh, imported from China. And there we saw a really strong partisan divide with Republicans not, confidence among Republicans not falling as sharply as it was among Democrats. And then the same is true back in uh, December 2018, January 2019, we had that government shutdown. And that was a shock to um, consumer confidence among Democrats more so than it was among Republicans. Hey, so John, we I remember, have, yes, but sometimes. <laughs> I, I remember looking at data maybe two months ago, and I, th- I, re- I wrote a story, I think that 
headline was restaurants are only for Republicans now. That was meant to be tongue in cheek, but yeah. it, it, this was a, there were a couple surveys. I don't remember if Maureen Consult did this or if it was somebody else, but yeah. it showed that uh, Republicans were much said they were much more comfortable going out to restaurants, going to a barber shop, um, and this is when the uh, pandemic was really a problem on the coast, but not um, any place else. And, yeah. I, and I, now that I'm thinking about it, I haven't followed through on that. If Republicans are a little bit more confident, is that simply because they tend to live in more rural areas, not um, in cities where this virus is a bigger problem, or is it really party affiliation? Well, I think the the level. So, so if you think about you know what percent of, of Republicans are um, confident right now, that's driven really by party affiliation. But the trend over time reflects underlying economic conditions. Um, and so to your earlier point, yes, we do a lot of work around looking at how consumers feel about going to restaurants, engaging in these sort of common leisure activities. And that issue is so closely correlated with consumer confidence that we can see in our data really clearly that when consumers stop feeling comfortable engaging, you know, going out to restaurants, which was about mid-June, shortly thereafter, we saw that translate into a decrease in confidence. Now, since we're on politics here, and this yeah. is electionomics, let's talk about confidence in the swing states. And to yeah. be fair, some of those swing states have been sort of the hot pockets or the epicenters of this 1.5, uh, you know, virus thing that you're talking about. Right? You said you said mm -hmm. sort of like 1.5 as, yeah. as opposed to 2.0. Um, talking about like Florida and Arizona, namely. But yeah. what is confidence like in those swing states that are so important for? President Trump to be able to capture come November? Yeah, so <clears throat> there are two uh, sort of features I would uh, discuss, particularly when talking about Florida and Arizona, which as you said, are like, you know, still the epicenter of this this 1.5 uh, version of the, of the virus. So while confidence there is down, um, what's really important is to sort of compare it to the country as a whole. And you can see that places like Florida and Arizona have suffered more than other states. Um, this sort of regional analysis is particularly important because you can imagine that that the shock from the coronavirus to the economy started off being, you know, was a directly a function of the number of confirmed cases. And then over time it morphs and it starts hitting unemployment and all these sort of broader uh, economic issues that tend to be, you know, where sectors of the economy tend to be concentrated in particular regions. So areas like the Southeast, you know, they, they tourism is a big issue for them. And so figuring out how Florida compares to um, Georgia, let's say, is really a great uh, way of gauging where consumers in Florida stand right now. I just want to go through the swing states so everybody knows what yeah. we're talking about. So there really are six in uh, just, you know, at an elementary level. Swing states are the states that are close and are likely to be the states that they're, they're not certain to vote Democrat or Republican and they're likely to determine who, who wins in uh, November. So they are uh, Florida. I always, in my head, I do a map starting with the Southeast and I go around to the upper Midwest and then I go over to the West. Florida, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Arizona. So we already talked about Florida and um, Arizona. John, is, um, is, is uh, these, these declines in consumer confidence, are they related to the virus? Or are they related to the uh, shutdown, business shutdowns, yeah. loss of jobs, or is it impossible to disentangle? So it's really difficult to disentangle, but one way to do that would be to look at 
Um, we collect daily data in each of these states. And so it becomes really easy then to see how uh, a governor's, let's say, decision to, to lock down sections of the economy or to open things up, how that influences consumer confidence. And what we, we haven't seen is any case where, let's say there's a lockdown in, in Florida or Georgia, and all of a sudden the next day confidence plummets. What we really see is sort of gradual trends over time, which tells me that consumers are looking at, um, at trends in the, in the virus and that these shutdown measures sort of just reflect what consumers already knew, which is that things are getting better or worse in terms of the, the virus. Um, it's one of the reasons why those northern swing states like Wisconsin and Michigan, confidence there has not fallen to the same extent that it has in the South. Because, and that's because the viral outbreak just is uh, more under control in those in those that's states. Right. I, guess, I guess you could also include Pennsylvania in that, right? Pennsylvania as well, yeah. And so one of the really interesting things that we saw was um, just how on the way down in particular, back in March, when this whole thing broke out, how closely consumer confidence in each state uh, tracked to the national number of COVID cases. It really was a nationwide issue. Now on the way up, so starting back in April, we started to see these divergences, regional heterogeneity, to use sort of a, a term of art in economics. Um, but now that things are headed back down, they're sort of reacting similarly once again. So it tells me that, that on the way down, when things are getting worse in terms of the virus, consumers across the country are hurt by that. But on the way up, they, they react differently. You know, we're in such an extraordinary time. I don't know if this is a fair comparison, but can you compare other times in history when yeah. consumer confidence took a big hit yeah. and the incumbent actually did well in the election? Right. Yeah. So, the, you know, it's it's tricky looking at this relationship between consumer confidence and um, and presidential results because we've only had about 16 elections in the post uh, in the modern era, so post post World War II, so the sample size is really small. The cool thing about consumer confidence is that it doesn't just reflect, uh, let's say, unemployment in a given state or um, the level of debt that people take on. It's sort of a uh, an aggregate of all these underlying factors. So, um, in general, yes, you do see that when consumer confidence falls, the incumbent party tends to lose. Um, I don't have a, a particular example for you in mind, but that that has played out, I believe, in 10 of the last 13 or so elections. You know, John, I, I, I don't know about you, Rick, but I think it would be helpful if, John, you could share with us the kinds of questions you ask folks in this daily survey, because it is a daily yeah. survey, right? So you're sort of getting right. a micro look at right. consumer trends. And, and what's the pool of people? I think it's thousands of people you survey a day, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. So in the U.S., we're talking to about 6,000 people every day across the U.S., um, one of the cool things about that is, um, you know, we don't have to engage in sophisticated modeling to figure out what's going on in the economy right now, right? We just go plug in and figure out uh, what our data is telling us on any given day. And right now that's particularly important because coronavirus is so unlike many of these other prior recessions that some of those historical relationships between data sets have broken down. So rather than trying to model what's going on, we just measure it. Um, the other thing, right, that's really cool is, is it gives us the ability to dive in and look at demographic breakouts. So we can focus not only on um, what's going on in the country as a whole, but certain regions or political ID, things like that. The, um, 
I'm sorry, you'll have to remind me. The question that you asked was, oh, the five questions, yes. So we ask questions that relate to people's personal finances, their, their assessment of their current conditions and then their expectations. And then we ask them about business conditions in the country as a whole. And so together that gives us a picture, not only of what's going on in their own personal lives, but how they view uh, the broader economy. And those, those trends over time tend to be great predictors of how, you know, how willing consumers are to, to open their wallets and spend. Are there specific questions in there about, you know, the presidency? How, how do you, what, what yeah. is your confidence in the way yeah. that President Trump is handling the, the pandemic? Well, we do a couple things. So we, we ask those questions separately. Those aren't part of the five, but, but we do collect um, demographics around whether or not people responding um, support President Trump, uh, voted for President Trump or um, Secretary of State Clinton. Um, so we, we have a really good sense of how Democrats, Republicans and independents are viewing the economy over time. So I always like to tell people our uh, millions of uh, viewers and listeners, or is is it millions or billions, Alexis? I can never remember. <laughs> no, uh, I think I think we're approaching billions at this I point. So. Yeah, billions serve. Um, <laughs> anybody can find this online. Uh, morning consult, state by state, consumer confidence. I always tell people this stuff we're talking about. You can go find it. Uh, you can play around with the data and look at it over time. John, uh, when you talk about the trends here, so it sounds like we had a decline, big decline in confidence, then a then uptick. And now yeah. we're starting to see another decline. Is that a double dip recession forming? It feels like that. I mean, I think technically one wonders whether or not the um, National Bureau of Economic Research will will define it as a, a second uh, recession or just, uh, you know, the second stage of, of one continuous recession. And those are the econ geeks who, who determine the start right. of recessions. That That's right. And it's sort of a joke. I mean, somewhat judgmental, but it's a technical decision that they make. Um, but what I know is that consumer confidence tracks consumer spending really closely. So when I'm seeing this, this recent decrease in consumer confidence, that tells me that spending is down, um, which is a big portion of total GDP. So it looks to me like the economy is headed in the wrong direction. Well, I mean, this matters for election purposes because it's going to yeah. be a huge factor. And uh, I mean, the way I think about it is how people are feeling um, and look, that most most people most people are either going to vote for Trump or Biden. But I think there is still. I mean, we've had a lot of guests on. There's good yeah. reason to think there is still five to eight, or maybe even ten percent of the electorate that isn't sure yet. Some of them are in the swing states, and um, so there could be late breaking factors that determine who wins. And one of them is how people feel about the economy two or three uh, weeks, I guess, before the election. Can you yeah. hazard a guess to where the, this might be in mid October? Well, I won't talk about the election per se, but I can talk about the economy. And I think right yeah. now, you know, we're all focused. Actually, I'm based here in D.C. We're all focused on what's going on in D.C. right now, because so much of this depends on um, what happens with the unemployment insurance and whether or not it will be extended and what form it will take, all those sorts of things. Um, right now, it looks to me like consumer confidence continues to be highly correlated with the with the virus, which is a, that might sound weird, but it's actually a good thing. That means that if we get the virus under control, uh, consumer confidence can rebound. What it becomes a problem if all of a sudden they become uh, sort of separate issues. And even if we have the virus under control, unemployment is uh, you know rampant. People aren't able to pay their bills, and then um, all bets are off. <laughs> well, we've got these. Um, you, you know, we've, we're facing these so-called cliffs. Um, yeah. 
with some of the stimulus money running out at the end of July. Now, my, my guess is that will uh, be extended, maybe not at the same levels it has been. But I, I mean, come on, it's an election year. It's in Trump's interest, in the Republican interest to get more money out the door. Um, do, you do, do you do any forecasting in terms of where you think uh, employment levels are going to be, you know, in future months? Yeah. Yeah. I look a lot at unemployment. I mean, what we saw most recently, um, you know, this June number, everyone talks about how great the June unemployment number was, but uh, I'm, but um, the composition of workers, we do a lot of surveys to figure out, well, who exactly is it that's being brought back into the labor force? And overwhelmingly, these were people who were um, still receiving some amount of pay. So they were furloughed workers who were still getting something. Um, so that tells me, you know, that that when things looks brighter for a second, businesses were really quick to go back out there and grab their top talent and bring them back. But there are still, you know, the majority of, of laid off and furloughed workers aren't receiving any money from their their prior employers. Um, and so, they, you know, they face they're in a really precarious position. I, my heart goes out to them. So we've only regained about one third of the lost um, jobs, I believe. Um, do you consider so those other so those other people who have not been recalled? Do you, I mean are those being counted as fully unemployed at this mm -hmm. point? Because I know there's this question of if it's a temporary layoff or a furlough, does that count as does that you know show up in the unemployment rate as unemployed yeah. or are you still considered employed? It's a third. These numbers going to sort of go you know go south uh, for these technical reasons in the next couple of months. I know that the. BLS, you know, the BLS has really top tier talent. I know they're focused on this issue. It looks to me like over time that range, you know, they report a range now, um, the unemployment rate as it's technically measured and then what it would have been if all of the temporary uh, unemployed people have been properly classified. And over time that range has been narrowing. So it suggests that they're doing a better job of coding people. Um, but the, you know, the issue remains nonetheless that, uh, the longer people are unemployed, the, you know, they lose skills, they lose attachment to the labor force, it becomes harder for them to come back. It's just a really, you know, the duration of unemployment is a strong headwind. It's not just the number. Um, so that, and that'll be an issue no matter who wins the election. You know, that's just the state of the economy right now. So when you were sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Sachs recently um, said that they, they believe we're gonna see double digit unemployment into the second half of 2021. Yeah. I mean, do, do you believe that that really might be the case? And and is it gonna be, is, is a headwind for President Trump, the fact that there's a very good chance we will have double digit unemployment when we head to the polls in November? Yeah. Yeah, so unemployment, similar to consumer confidence, they tend to work in opposite directions. Consumer confidence falls, that's bad for the incumbent. Uh, unemployment rises, that's bad for the incumbent. Um, it's really di difficult right now to speculate what unemployment will be uh, in January or February of next year. But what we do know is that um, a lot of workers, particularly sort of white collar workers who previously said that they felt super secure with their job, that that job security is waning. And so it's telling me that um, people even outside of the service sector are starting to feel this recession. And you can imagine how that plays out, right? You know, the restaurant closes, it's not able to pay back its bills to the bank, the bank doesn't go off and hire the lawyer to review its documents, whatever it may be. And that's how you get this sort of uh, uh, second and third order effects of what started off initially as a virus. How is that showing up, John? 
Um, well, so the big issue I think is is looking at the um, first issue is job security, right? That's sort of a, a leading indicator of how people feel about um, you know the likelihood of them being uh, of working six months down the road. You ask them specifically. You ask people specifically about That's right. job security. That's right. Yeah. And so the overall number, of course, is interesting, but it's that composition that's relevant as well. Asking people, well, is this an issue um, strictly for service-oriented workers, or does it also um, does it also address these sort of white-collar jobs? So historically, right, when this virus hit, it was a the economy was shut down. But what was really shut down were all these service sector jobs where they were dealing directly with folks. And that over time has morphed into a broader a broader issue. So this suggests um, people who are not, I think what you're talking about are people not in the sectors that are that were directly, you know, basically endured a direct hit from this, which is uh, restaurant industry, travel, hospitality, that's got the direct direct hit. You're saying this is kind of, there's kind of like the collateral damage seems to be spreading, at least in terms of job security. That's right. And that's sort of what we see in confidence as well, that it's a broad range of people who hold different jobs, are employed or not employed, that um, this go of it, there's really uh, sort of this universal feeling that, yes, the virus is a problem, but but we have other other bigger issues as well. I'm wondering if you notice any, so you, you cut this um, data demographically. Um, I'm wondering about seniors because they yeah. are kind of uniquely vulnerable to the coronavirus. Um, and a lot of them live in the two of the swing states we're talking about here, Florida and Arizona. Are you able to identify uh, that they are, I don't know what your baseline for measuring this would be, that they're, but they're less confident than they might otherwise be? Yeah. So as, exactly as you described, we see a really strong difference across age cohorts. So people who are younger weathered the storm fairly well. Part of that is, you know, they're not at, uh, their health risk is lower but also they have a longer time horizon to make up, you know, if, they, if they're unemployed, they can find another job. For people who are older, nearing retirement, uh, this is a big hit to them and their, and their retirement prospects. And so not surprisingly, people who were 65 and older, we saw that that group confidence fell the most amongst that group. Uh, and then it sort of works its way up there actually in a fairly linear order, you know, 55 to 64, all the way up to the, the 18 to 25 year olds. Yeah, certainly that makes sense. I, I want to um, wrap things up on a on a somewhat up note. If we okay, is there any place? Oh that no, no! I, I, <laughs> this is the gloom and doom show. Where, where are you finding? If it, I mean, I don't know if you are finding this, but yeah. is there a state or a demographic where people are feeling confident or more confident in a meaningful way versus other states and demographics? Yeah, well, I think one sort of um, upbeat note would be what happened in, in the um, mid-Atlantic in New York, New Jersey, and, and Pennsylvania, swing state, where when the virus hit, you know, the confidence fell there extremely sharply, and they have rebounded fairly dramatically. So it's still well below where they were in March, but um, but better than, than other places throughout the country. And of course, it could have been worse, right? New York could continue uh, to be a hotspot, uh, and it's not. So that's that's sort of a, a result that back two or three months ago we wouldn't have known necessarily. And you know, lots of us are both in New York, and um, I, 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 mean, I think we're all waiting for the virus to come back. And so yeah. so good. I mean, and it's we were actually you can walk around and see you can sort of slowly and gradually get back to normal if you if you yeah. wear your mask. I mean, that's why yeah. we're kind of laughing at the people in the south. And speaking for myself, 
people in the South who ref refuse to wear a mask because they think it impedes their freedom. What we see is that the people who are less likely to wear masks are also the ones more likely to go out and socialize. So that's an interesting case sort of of adverse selection that yeah. if you go to a restaurant and the people who are there are probably the, the least, uh, the, the people you would want to be around the least. Yeah, <laughs> I, I second that motion though, Rick. I know like in New York, you're, just, you're, you're going, okay, where, when's the next wave coming, right? Governor Cuomo is already telling us all to brace for it, saying he doesn't see how we can sort of yeah. insulate ourselves when uh, when all these other states are seeing a rise, but so far so good. Ask for working here, it seems. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But right. enough, there is a high level of uncertainty, right? That, mm -hmm. that in and of itself is a headwind to, to econ the economic recovery, that high level of uncertainty. For sure, which we know investors hate uncertainty, right? But we still keep rallying to record highs, at least on the NASDAQ. We're gonna have to leave it there though. We're out of time, guys. Uh, John Lear of Morning Consult, thanks so much for being with us. Be sure to rate and review what you just heard and follow me at Alexis TV News. And me at Richie Newman. Everybody loves me on Twitter. Oh, of course. How could they not? And John, do you have a social media handle you want to put out there? I do. At John C. Lear. Sounds good. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time.